With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. feels so good to be back so good to be back if you're watching on youtube i am so tan don't be weirded out this is my skin how are you guys i've missed you oh so much uh it is your boy the l-e-f-k-o-e man uh and i'm super pumped to be here it's been a wild two weeks let me just get some show stuff out of the way for you uh first up We are going to have three finalists for the new show name on Wednesday to everybody that went and filled out those forms. Appreciate it. Some very funny names. I enjoy stuff like Left Coalition. Uh, I like people that are like, all that's Left Co. I thought that was really good. But we're going to go sort of by a popular vote. So we should have three finalists for Wednesday's one uh, for you guys to vote on, which will be great. It is still the classic intro song. Uh, Rod Simba sent me a few possible new songs and i'm going to tell you that one of them made me stand up and it made me kind of dance and it's a little bit more my speed and i know that this song is great and and rod and the regulators are awesome but this new one i am very excited uh for you to get it so i i was gone the last two weeks to anybody that went and checked me out i did stop on mina kimes's podcast uh so check that bad boy out we talked about free agency uh franchise tagging and it's funny we expected all of these franchise tags and then what do you know i forgot they're all waiting until march 5th the deadline before they slap it on a grady jarrett or slap it on a demarcus lawrence so instead of discussing whether or not they're going to be franchise tagged we'll wait and see and then we'll discuss it when it happens because the new way of franchise tagging is waiting until the very end i do want to give a shout out uh to charlotte and waffle waffle master you guys are the best charlotte you're awesome keep being the best i love you a lot and i also want to say that just because sims is gone and just becomes french fendrick is gone i still want those eyebrows wood rage master you did not get out of this bet blake jarwin did not catch 35 and i'm gonna need those eyebrows i think the homies the 33 percent needs those eyebrows they want those eyebrows and we're not gonna sit here and let you get away with it. Because when I make a bet, 
we are cashing in. If I lose or if I win. Speaking of bets, I'm betting my money. You're going to like the interview we got in a little bit. It's going to be the main man, Mike Lombardi, talking about what it was like to go to the Combine with Al Davis, Bill Walsh, Bill Belichick. What do you ask when you only have 15 minutes in an interview at the Combine? What does he think about Kyler Murray, Antonio Brown, Le'Veon Bell? A lot of good stuff. Check him out. And then he's got an article uh, that came out uh, today, if you're listening on Tuesday, uh, on The Athletic about handling the Combine. Uh, and all of that. So until then, it is just me and the homies. But it has been a wild two weeks, so I kind of want to let you know what's been happening and give you the inside scoop. Uh, For everyone that supported me as I was doing play-by-play of the NBA Rising Stars, I want to give you an applause. Thank you guys for all the tweets. It was a lot of fun. Uh, When I tell you that that was my first time doing play-by-play legitimately, I'm not kidding. Weeks leading up to the event, I called Ian Eagle, and I said, Ian, I need your help. And Ian goes, and his voice is perfect, and he goes, Adam, listen, I know you've done this before at Syracuse and all that, so you're going to be fine. And I'm on the other side of the phone, and I'm going, I I haven't. But I'm not going to tell him. I wasn't going to tell anybody. So, uh, but he gave me advice about kind of owning it and being conversational and, and making it fun. And I was like, I got this, I got this, I got this. And it's with Frank Kaminsky and Danny Green, two guys. They had never done it before either. And uh, I, I was excited. I was nervous. I was pumped. And I'm feeling all these emotions. And I'm waiting in the hotel. And I'm waiting to go over to the arena. And in the lobby, for those of you that are hip-hop fans is a Noriega, Nori. And one of, uh, man, he made so many great hip-hop songs in the 90s, and he is shellacked. Like, I'm talking about glean in his eyes, sparkle, looking around, and he looks over at me, and I got my suit on with my top button buttoned. I'm pulling the Chris, and he walks over and he goes, you know, you the flyest white motherfucker in this place. And I said, Me? He goes, yeah, you want a hug? And I was like, sure, Nori, I'll take a hug. So Noriega hugged me, and then he sees my girlfriend at the time, and he goes, you know, you with the flyest mf in this place. And I was like, man, so it was so funny. I'm nervous, I'm excited, I'm all this stuff. And it all dissipated because Nori wanted to give me a hug. Went to the arena, went out there. You know, it, it's crazy, man. You're sitting at courtside and there's Donovan Mitchell and there's Ben Simmons and, you know, there's Dirk Nowitzki and, there, and I'm talking to Dirk in his ear and he's responding and there's Kyrie. And, and look, I, I've been doing NFL now for a while. It was nice because none of them knew who I was. Like, I'm walking out there, and they're like, what's up, man? Like, I, I think I've seen you before. And I'm like, nah, nah, dude, I'm I'm more of an Odell guy, to be honest with you. Um, but it was a blast. It was super fun. And it was sort of the beginning of a lot of luck for me these last two weeks to the point where, you know what, even before that, I'm at I'm at the Sixers-Lakers game. I took my pops there uh, for his birthday, and we're watching LeBron. And one of my rules in fandom, and I'm sure a lot of you guys at home have rules, I do the wave. Some of you don't do the wave. Uh, Some of you will never leave early. You will stay till the very end. I will occasionally leave, but not if it's a big game. That's insane. But one of my rules is I never stand up for a free T-shirt, ever. 
You know, when that whole thing's, everybody get on your feet, it's time for free t-shirt toss. I, I can't do it. The t-shirts are never comfortable. They're always hard. They're always a double XL, and I don't want them. Well, at that Sixers-Lakers game, they're going, all right, everybody, all right, fans, stand up for those free T-shirts. And I'm going, absolutely not. And the announcer goes, what do you know? Lil Uzi Vert is out there throwing out T-shirts. And I have seen Lil Uzi Vert in concert at, at an Adidas concert, and he was amazing. And I said, well, let me stand up and see this. And he's throwing it in the crowd the way Lil Uzi does, like completely not trying to throw. And then he goes up and he just takes over one of those Gatling guns, like the the the, the things where it's like a Tommy gun, like blah, 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 blah. And he just starts spinning. Everyone's laughing. And if that T-shirt didn't come right at my face, I didn't even move. It was just like, and it's, I just caught it. And I'm going, this is crazy. Then... After the Rising Stars game, I take my girl to the NBA All-Star game on Sunday, and I'm sitting there, and they're going, all right, fans, let's stand up for those free All-Star T-shirts. And my, and my girl's going, oh, I'd like one. I go, listen, I, listen, I, I don't think you understand. I, I don't stand up for this. It's a bad T-shirt. As I'm explaining it, a T-shirt whizzes over my head, hits the hands of the person behind me, falls into my lap. Like not even, just into my lap. That's the kind of two weeks I've had since I've seen you guys. I lost all my boys, but the luck has been following me ever since. I mean, so much so, I'm going on vacation with my girl. We're going to Anguilla. I promise this is getting somewhere. And I had a layover in D.C., you know, and I actually got to be a part of the Kaepernick-Reed settlement discussion. Yeah. I was in the meeting. Listen, I've been gone for two weeks. I just want to share with you where I've been and what I've done. I was in the settlement, but signed the NDA, guys. So I cannot tell you how much Kaepernick got from this deal. It was a good amount, but I'm not allowed to because of the NDA. So I would have this greater... I'm telling you, man, my two weeks have been nuts. I would have great information. NDAs are tough. And then um, I went to Anguilla... And it was amazing. Uh, some of you saw that I did propose uh, to my girlfriend, who is now my fiance, and she did say yes. Uh, so big things are popping for the L-E-F-K-O-E. Man, uh, it's nerve-wracking uh, for those of the homies that haven't done it. It's a little scary. You're mainly afraid that you're going to drop the ring or lose the ring. I think I patted that pocket about 17,426 times. It was very intimidating. Uh, but I think my favorite part was that morning we're sitting at breakfast. And for everyone out there, I have kind of joked with my girlfriend for a long time. Like I'm the guy that like bends down on one knee and then ties his shoe. That's the kind of person I am, but you know that, you know who I am, but we're at breakfast and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm joking and I'm like, you know, you know, what about like getting engaged in like 2021? And this is the day that I'm going to do it. And she, she won't even make eye contact with me. And she looks out in the ocean and she goes, Adam, you know, when we get back to New York, we're going to have to have a long talk because I don't think you're taking this as seriously as you should. I don't even know if I might have to move. 
And I'm sitting there and I'm going, oh my God, this is incredible. But we got a massage and then we we went out on the beach and as soon as during sunset and I had photographers hidden behind a bush and man it I got really nervous it was more nervous like I didn't want to mess it up I wanted the photographers to be in the right place but uh, I got down on one knee uh, she said yes it was great and now everyone's asking me when the, the wedding is and my answer to them is I gotta see when Big Phil is going to let me have it. Because if you don't think me asking him on this podcast is a contract, I am sending it to a lawyer, and it is going to be awesome, and I want to have the wedding at Big Phil's house. I need it. On the way back, uh, I, I, the, I had another stop uh, in Florida, in an area of Florida. Uh, well, what city? Well, not Saturn, not Mars, not... I can't remember the name of it, but it, it honestly, the layover, it, it came in handy. Um, you know, cause you want to get a grasp of the situation, you know, the travel, the exhaustion, it can be tough when you want to, to do it all yourself. Um, the planning and all that. And the last thing I needed, it was in this time of my emotional state was to get rubbed the wrong way. I didn't need that. Uh, would have been awful, but you know, the story does have a happy ending because uh, we got back on time. No mess, nothing, safe and sound, uh, back in peace in New York. Yeah, I, I just I can't remember what that area of Florida was. Anyway, whoa, big off season. You thought it was done. It's never done. Listen, with the way this podcast is going to go, whether it's people like Mike Lombardi or we're going to have more people coming in studio, hopefully soon. And then I'm going to go out and being with all these athletes. I want to keep you guys up to date with all the big news stories that are going on. Not just the ones that are tipping the scales on the front page of the New York times, whatever, but also, you know, the completely random ones. Like, I don't know, Arthur blank buying a hundred and 80 million dollar yacht are you kidding a 240 foot yacht that's what's so funny is here we are we call kaepernick greedy and all these people greedies and then we wonder why they get upset when their owner buys a yacht that's two and a half football fields and is about is like double their salary cap that's the whoa big off seasons that i really like those are the ones that i find to be so darn fascinating but the big whoa big off season thus far and i know the ravens just cut crabtree but that's the season we're in guys and you know what i'm gonna give a shout out to my man on instagram uh pro football chase man if this instagram account if you need news go to this guy i think i'm gonna make him my new adam schefter I think that's kind of what I'm going to do is he's on it all the time. But, yeah, pro football chase, my man Isaac. He's got He's like 23 years old. He's got 86,000 followers. But he, he'll keep you up to date on all the crazy stuff there. But the biggest whoa big offseason to me has been the Steelers. They've dominated. And what's really interesting is you've heard us talk before about Seattle and Green Bay last year. We had all this hope that because Green Bay and Seattle didn't make the playoffs two years ago, that it would create finally some change. And I would argue that it has. Look at those two franchises now. Green Bay now has a young, up-and-coming offensive mind with other offensive minds built around him in the floor and friends that will have a different offensive philosophy for Aaron Rodgers, which is what we always wanted. And that, I think, led to change. Seattle, 
we had a number of issues about them being able to protect Russell Wilson. I mean, you can't talk to a Seattle fan and mention Mike Solari without them out getting really excited. Their new offensive line coach. That offensive line was incredible last year. So they missed the playoffs, and it led to some positive change. But what happened was is you had to break it down first to get to the change. We're seeing the breakdown right now in Pittsburgh. The difference is... There was no wide receiver or running back on Green Bay that was going to cause a lot of issues. There was no offensive line, and Russell sure as hell wasn't going to say anything, that were going to create issues in Seattle. Le'Veon Bell, Antonio Brown, Ben Roethlisberger. These are mercurial people with ego, people that have accomplished things, people that will tell you it sure as hell ain't my fault. So as this ship is burning, as it has to break to build, it is going to be messy in the process. So where are we right now? Le'Veon Bell is officially going to be a free agent. Their uh, GM has come out and he has said that he's going to let him go. Uh, Kevin Colbert, and he is a true free agent. But in the purest form of the NFL not caring about the players, what happens? Manish Mehta, reporter in New York, comes out and says the Jets are very concerned that Le'Veon Bell is overweight. Why do they do this? The same reason you try and flush out an animal underneath your house. I don't know how big it is. I want to see. We haven't seen, heard, or seen anything from Le'Veon Bell in a long time. And I'll be the first one to say that when he was on that jet ski, he did not look in playing shape. But what happened as soon as they put out that report, sweaty Le'Veon Bell, mid-workout, video on Instagram saying, I'm going to take my 260 ass anywhere. My advice to Le'Veon Bell, not just Lefko PR, not just edited workouts and all that stuff. You got to take those pictures right in the morning because every chubby guy out there knows you have about a five to 10 minute window when you first wake up. You've never looked better. Le'Veon Bell needs that photo. You got to put it out there. I might even do a little cleanse. I might even do a three-day cleanse where you're drinking all the juices and the waters and just get yourself looking real thin. Post that bad boy. Le'Veon Bell is doing the opposite of Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray is doing the it's always in sunny Philadelphia carbo loading, building mass. Le'Veon Bell right now is shredding. You're going to hear who uh, Lombardi thinks he could be going to, but I, I look at Le'Veon Bell. I think everyone's going to say the Jets. Everyone's looking at Indianapolis because they got a little bit of money. My favorites for him are two places, Houston and Miami. We know why Miami. Boy, does he spend his time in Miami. But you know what Miami and Houston both have? Both have? A no-income tax. None. Texas and Florida. This man cares about his dollars. Also, Miami, other than being home, they can build around him. He can be the face. They don't really have that right now. And then Houston, the possibility of him joining Deshaun Watson, DeAndre Hopkins, a healthy Will Fuller, everything they got going on there, I think that's pretty darn special. The only other one I would say is Baltimore, but I would say that Gus Edwards kind of popped a little bit as that was going. The other guy is Antonio Brown. And boy, has this been crazy. Kevin Colbert comes out and says three teams are interested, which, of course, spotlights that 28 teams haven't called. 
28 plus 3 is 31, and then the Steelers are 32. But Peter King in his article today had his top five. Carolina, Washington, Tampa, the New York Jets, and Oakland. Washington doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I just I can't see them pulling the trigger on that. They don't know who their quarterback is. Who knows what's going to happen? Tampa is interesting because their new coach is Bruce Arians. So the question is, is what was the relationship between Bruce Arians and Antonio Brown? I'm ta- my bad. I was talking about uh, Antonio Brown when it comes to Washington. Tampa, though, I mean, Bruce Arians just came out and had some comments about Antonio Brown that were not glowing. I don't think that relationship is great. I don't see a trade like that happening. New York Jets, maybe. Maybe. I mean, he would be amazing with Sam Darnold. I just don't know if I'm a Jets organization if I am trying to take on Antonio Brown with a young quarterback. Because the Antonio Brown we have right now is a guy that's not afraid to tell you how great he is. Oakland is interesting. Oakland's interesting, especially when I hear John Gruden come out earlier this week and say, you know, trading is interesting. John Gruden has always been obsessed with older made players. Look at last year's free agency from Jordy Nelson to everyone across the board, to Doug Martin, to everyone that we knew had already passed where they needed to be. He trusts them more than young people. And you know he has a lug of affair with Antonio Brown. But I will give Peter King, the Don, a lot of credit for the little nugget he had about Carolina's GM. And I want to share it with you so that you have the nugget in case you didn't see it. New owner David Tepper of the Carolina Panthers. Where is he from? Pittsburgh. He went to Pitt and Carnegie Mellon, both in Pittsburgh. He had an ownership, a 5% stake in the Steelers before he came to the Panthers. And what do you know? He donated $55 million to CMU, which has a Tepper School of Business in his honor. Carnegie Mellon. This man has invested in Pittsburgh. He knows what Antonio Brown made to, meant to that city. He's also looking at his football team and going, I like DJ Moore. He's a little inconsistent. You know, I like, I, I like Curtis Samuel. He's a little inconsistent. Man, if my if my incredible running back just had a wide receiver that can work the middle of the field, because I'm a little bit worried about Cam Newton's ability to throw the ball deep because of all his arm issues. Man, it would be really nice to give a veteran wide receiver that I know. Because remember this, everyone talks about how coaches have ego and they believe that they could be the one that gets through to somebody. You don't think a new owner feels the same way? This is a 5% owner of the Steelers who watched Art Rooney have incredible relationships with all of his players. I've talked to Jerome Bettis. Jerome's told me stories about Art about uh, Rooney bringing him into the room and going, Hey, Jerome, what should we put in the ring? Tepper wants to have those relationships. And Antonio Brown is a star. My only thing, and by the way, the deadline for Antonio Brown... March 17th, another great point by Peter King. Steelers owe him a $2.5 million bonus at that time. I did some reading on this vacation. And you know that my my thing here with Lefko Sprinkles or out of Lefko Field is I like to take things, because I read books about history and philosophy, and a lot of times it applies to the stories in the NFL. And in this case, I read one that reminded me so much of Antonio Brown, it was crazy. I read the story of Coriolanus. Coriolanus, if there's actually, it's actually, there's a whole play written by Shakespeare about it. 
He was a great military hero of ancient Rome to the point where he had scars that were so visible that people would just applaud for him because of what he did back in that time. The wars he won, what he stopped, what he did. He was a mythical figure. And after he had led so many wars, he eventually said, you know what? I want to cash in all of my accomplishments and I want to run for the high rank of consul. I want to use all that I've accomplished, and I believe the people will love me so much that I want to be a powerful politician. And it seemed like it was a shoe-in. Every major politician supported him. All the people supported him. The problem is, no one had heard him speak before. Coriolanus was this man that did all of his talking on the battlefield. And what they didn't realize was, he was very cocky. No one knew this. Everyone assumes that the, the warrior on the battlefield is a silent assassin. But when he took the microphone, he talked about how he was going to be the best leader that's ever existed. He was going to bring so much profit. He was going to do it better than anybody else. No one was going to touch him and that it was expected that he was going to win. So what happened? The public started talking about, I didn't know he was like this. He thinks he's just going to win. He thinks he's just going to be the guy. And you know what they did? They voted against him because they didn't like his cockiness. What happened? Coriolanus got upset at the people and he continued to just talk about them and yell at them. There was a shipment of grains that came in and my man Coriolanus said, the people don't deserve it after how they talked about me. He created a riot. He went from someone that was going to be the head of the state to someone that they were rioting against to give him the death penalty. But because of his accomplished, what do they do? They banished him. He was asked to leave and never come home again. And it's a reminder that a person who cannot control his words shows that he cannot control himself and is unworthy of respect. That is a warning in history for what I'm seeing in Antonio Brown. Antonio Brown was the sixth round pick that could never do no wrong, that ran the underneath routes and was the ultimate toe tapper and played for the Pittsburgh Steelers, a franchise that was born in the dust fields of an iron worker that was made from the, the nine to fivers and came up through art mode, uh, uh, excuse me, the Rooney family who I think got the money to buy the team from a darn horse race. It was a romantic tale. I mean, I posted on Instagram the video of Antonio Brown the Combine. I mean, holy crap, what a modest young man. But his talking lately has really changed the whole perception of it. And I'd ask you guys, this is, I'm not implying he has, but I'm curious on your thoughts. Has Antonio Brown done a lot of damage to his name? Do you look at Antonio Brown differently? I look at Antonio Brown, and right now I'm going to say that I'm a little bit confused because of the other man in this triangle. The triangle is the Pittsburgh Steelers, Antonio Brown, and Ding Dong Big Ben. Because while I look at Antonio Brown and I go, I can't believe you're saying these things and doing these things and going on Twitter and talking and saying that I am the best, and which is going to rub people the wrong way, I'm also seeing this other ego that you know I've called out a lot in Big Ben Roethlisberger. And I think it got even more hairy when Kevin Colbert came out and made his comments about how Big Ben has 52 kids under him, quite honestly, and how 
Big Ben is the adult in the room. We know darn well that Big Ben is not the adult in the room. Big Ben is not practicing all the time. Big Ben's not wearing his helmet all the time. We laugh at the clip where he's knocking down all the pads with the ball and throwing it. But we all know that that's not what a leader does. There's jokes that we all make about the walking boot. There's all the comments we make and how we can throw people under the bus. I am having a hard time evaluating if Antonio Brown is too much of an ego. If he does have an ego and it's just matching Big Ben. Or if I'm just sitting here looking at the fact that Big Ben, Martavis Bryant, Antonio Brown, and Le'Veon Bell were all on the same team and couldn't do anything. But I'm wondering as I look at Seattle and what we learned from them and the changes that happened, and Green Bay, what we learned from them and the changes that happened. When you don't make the playoffs and you lose, change happens. Pittsburgh might lose everything. They're going to lose Le'Veon. They may lose Antonio, but I think the thing that's going to change the most is Big Ben. The accountability, it's going to be on Eagle Watch. I mean, we're going to be paying attention to this guy all the time. Every quote, is that a leadership quote? Everything he does is going to be interesting. What he needs to do is separate himself from the front office. Because as I witnessed as an Eagles fan with Donovan McNabb, if your quarterback is tied to your front office, you can lose the team. And he cannot have that happen. I'll just say this. The Steelers are an absolute mess right now. And I'm very curious to see how this figures out. I'm not sure. I just hope for Antonio Brown, who's been a phenomenal player in this league, that it hasn't already gone too far. Antonio Brown. He's done some Lefko PR. In terms of Lefko PR, I don't know if you guys have noticed it, but holy crap is there a ton right now. Patrick Mahomes, Antonio Brown. I mean, the funniest one is Kirk Cousins. If you haven't seen Kirk Cousins' IG, it's like one camera shot of him doing like sit-ups. It's amazing. But I will give my first week of the offseason Lefko PR award to Robbie Gould. Because what Robbie Gould right now is doing is masterful. I mean, this is Odell levels of Lefko PR. Never forget that the Bears season, even though it was so successful, will be remembered by the double doink, Cody Parkey. And that if they had a better kicker, they probably believe they continue on and who knows how far they go. They probably believe they could beat the Saints. They probably believe they could beat the Rams because they did beat the Rams. But what Robbie Gould right now is doing is the best I've ever seen. Remember, he went to that playoff game against the Eagles and was in the crowd. And people were noticing him. Former Chicago Bear has had two phenomenal seasons with the San Francisco 49ers. So he put pressure on them during the moment. And then you know what he came out and said this week? I'm interested in coming back to Chicago. This is perfect. You get the fan base excited. You get the team excited. They recently cut Cody Parkey, Robbie Gould. I applaud you. What you've done is absolutely fantastic. We're going to hear right now from Mike Lombardi, the main man, and then coming up after the interview, I'm going to explain to you what's wrong in the media ecosystem right now and give you a breakdown of what's coming up in the calendar. Oh, yeah, you know what we're talking about all the stuff that's going to happen that I can already predict. But right now, let's listen to Lombardi. 
Let's bring him in, the main man, the mind that lets the NFL know where it needs to go. Mike Lombardi, at M. Lombardi NFL. Make sure you check out his book, Gridiron Genius. Uh, I loved it. I, I got through it at a record speed. It's Al Davis. It's Bill Walsh. It's Bill Belichick. It's awesome. Happy to have you on, pal. How you feeling? Uh, thank you, Adam. I appreciate it. It's kind of you to read the book. I certainly appreciate it. Yeah, and you're a writer at The Athletic. You're doing all your great work at VSIN. Uh I'm just curious, this time of the year, I imagine all the NFL franchises, they're getting packed up, they're going to Indy, uh, they're getting ready to watch the Underwear Olympics. What was the experience like with Al Davis versus Bill Walsh versus Bill Belichick? How would that compare? Well, let's start off with Bill Walsh because I started that first. Uh, I was Bill's book carrier. This is back in the early, in the mid-'80s before uh, – Back to the Future, and uh, <laughs> they invented the book bags. Uh, you know, I'm sure everybody had book bags, but, yeah. uh, you know, in Back to the Future, Michael J. Fox made it popular. So I didn't have a book bag. I was Bill's book bag. I carried his books everywhere. And one of the stories I tell in Gridiron Genius is we were in the combine, we were at the combine, and this was just when it was the old Hoosier Dome. There was nothing wow. attached to it. And I was lugging his books, and he was walking through the the crowd and uh, he stopped short and uh, looked down on the field and about 20 seconds passed by said to me who's that down there throwing and I said oh coach that's Rich Gannon from the University of Delaware he said make sure Holmgren goes and works him out of course I had to go tell Holmgren that and then Holmgren got all upset with me because he thought I was making him go see one of my Jersey guys and uh, back in (laughs) Delaware so anyway so it was interesting with coach Walsh I kind of just carried his stuff got him from here to there didn't really know what he was thinking. Uh, one year we had it in Phoenix. It was outdoors. It was the year Jerry Rice ran a 40 on the grass out there, wow. freezing cold in Arizona. We just won the Super Bowl. And then we moved to New Orleans the next year, and then the year after it settled on Indianapolis, and everybody thought it would last maybe a year because the winters would be too harsh, and here it is going on uh, almost 25 years there. So That's that unreal. was fun. Uh, Belichick was just all work. You know, we we mm. would. Uh, it wasn't set up the way it is now. We would bring a video, uh, a, a Betacam projector to the combine, set it up in one of the rooms, start watching tape, work on tape during the dra- during the t- off time, try to find players to bring them in to interview them before they had the system in place, which is now utilized, where you only get 15 minutes to interview players. And so it was mostly all work, trying to negotiate contracts. The cap came in. And then things started to change because the, 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 the cap was so important and meeting the agents became uh, as important as the 40 times on the field because you knew you were going to watch those when you were doing uh, the film study later in the day. And then uh, with Al, it was, you know, I mean. All 40 times. <laughs> well, you know, they should really. I wrote this for The Athletic. It will come out tomorrow. I mean, they should really name the combine the Al Davis Invitational. Mm. He loved it. He loved it more than anything, and he had his seat right there at the 40-yard starting line. He didn't care about player interviews. He, he, all he cared about was watching the players work out, watching them run, got there 40 times. He always had a hot dog with mustard uh, on the break at lunch. What kind of mustard you know, the, are we talking? Yellow, family. brown, what kind of mustard? Just yellow, right down yellow. the middle. Off, nice. Off, just, uh, just down the middle, just mustard. <laughs> and then uh, Dot Coke, and then he would have that, and then he would work, and He'd have a tape machine in his room. He would go back and watch tape, and uh, he would work out. And right around 9.30 or 8.30, 9.30 at night, he'd have dinner every night at the Shula Steakhouse at the Westin. 
you know, and the meal would consist of English cut prime rib, uh, you know, French fries or baked potato, whatever he wanted. And, of course, he had German chocolate cake for dessert. So it was pretty easy with Al. You just work late at night because he, he was always working. He was always doing stuff at night because uh, he was a night owl. So. Yeah. And then he, you'd get to get up in the morning and start your daily routine. But it was always good. He loved it. What do you think of what the Combine has become, having been to so many of them? Well, I think it's really it's it's about the uh, it, it's really about character assessment. Uh, it's a four prong. It's uh, you know it's funny. I, I wrote about this for the Athletic tomorrow. It'll come out, and I talked about how it's really a a, a four prong event in the sense that uh, you know part, one part is is Mardi Gras, which right. is a lot of people there to party and have a good time at the bars. Another part is like World Series of Poker Tournament because there's agents there trying to negotiate contracts and trying to figure out, you know, what's going on. And you've got to play poker, basically, who's bluffing, who's not. And then there's the triage center, which is a bunch of the players are on tables getting their, their, their bodies pulled and tugged oh, in certain man. directions to see how they are medically, orthopedically. And then there's the, the on-the-field workouts. And then, of course, there's the guys looking for jobs. So... Uh, it's a job fair. It's a Vienna uh, character assessment conference. It's a little bit of everything. So you mentioned a 15-minute interview. Would you ask the same questions to every person? Was there one type of question you definitely wanted to ask? How do you maximize that time to evaluate character in a quarter of an hour? Well, I think you have to do your homework before you go in with the interview, correct? So, you know, I'm not going to ask. I'm not going to ask somebody the same questions because. Uh, not all the players are the same. So it may, if there's a player that I have to deal with on a character assessment issue, uh, you know, I'm a, I'll start the interview off this way. I'll say, look, every question I'm going to ask you, I already know the answer to. Mm, I love so that. You, I'm just going to see if you're going to lie to me. So just come clean. Let's talk about it. We all make mistakes in life. We all have our problems. So it wasn't we, actually questions you were curious about. You're looking to confirm to see if they can look you in the eye and be honest. Exactly. That's I fascinating. See, I wanted to see what what the person was, you know, and then I want to be able to, to assess how he dealt with it, you know, how he handled the situation. You know, look, I made this mistake. I, I'll never do it again. You know, I mean, remember, when we started the combine in 80, 84, uh, smoking marijuana was, you know, oh, my God, it was a penalty by death almost, right? right? And today it's legal in seven states. So you've got to adapt your thinking and your processing going along and, and how you judge players. I think the best way for me to handle the interviews I watch The Wire repeatedly. Really? Because, yeah, of course. I mean, here I'm a fat white kid growing up in New Jersey. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. I'm interviewing African-Americans from the inner city. I don't have any idea the plight that they walked. I've never mm. walked in their shoes. How could I judge anything that they've done? Mm. You know, and The Wire was enlightening to me. Mm. It was like, holy hell, this is, this is a world I don't know. Any, I need to learn more about this. So you start reading books about the things that are going on in inner city America to help you understand that the kid you're trying to evaluate. It's interesting because when I read that book, um, what was the one we were talking about? He, the guy that did Moneyball and all that, and he had the one about uh, biases and all that. Michael I Lewis. Yes, Michael Lewis. He had that book recently where you know the Houston Rockets don't even look at the answers. They don't factor it in because you can get emotionally unstable or it can kind of move you off your bearings by feeling emotional about somebody's response. Did you ever interview somebody and they blew you away and it, it, it did impact your evaluation? You know... Uh... 
Yeah, I think so. There's no doubt. I mean, look, I can go back, and I wrote about it in the book. Ray Lewis blew me away. I mean, we interviewed, Bill and I interviewed Ray Lewis and Lawrence Phillips at the same time. And I wrote about it in the book. Ray Lewis knew everything that was going on on the tape. He came to life. He was so engaged and excited about it. You know, whereas Lawrence Phillips was just dull. He just didn't care. I didn't, oh, I, don't, I don't even know who we're playing here. He had no idea. You know, now does that mean that I could tell you Lawrence Phillips was going to have the, the unfortunate right. life that he had and, and died in prison? No, I didn't know that. However, that being said, you know, you could tell that it wasn't as important to him as it was to Ray Lewis. You could feel it. But, you know, that, that was a little, that was a long ago. Recently, you know, we interviewed Trey Flowers uh, when I was at the Patriots, and you could just feel that he mm. knew what he was doing. He was humble. He was confident. He grew up in northern Alabama, had one scholarship offer, uh, to, and then late Arkansas came in, and he took that deal. And so, you know, it was just it was one of those where you kind of got a sense of who this kid was in just 15 minutes, and you can do it. There are a lot of stories and sources that are going to come out this week because of all the agents and the players. How much should we actually believe, do you think? Well, I think you should believe very little of it. I mean, you know, I think you have to do your homework. I mean, look, it's like every time you pick up the the morning paper, do you believe everything you read in the paper? You better not. It's source season, man. I'm just seeing anonymous scout says Kyler Murray should be second round pick. And I can't believe it's even being printed. Well, I mean, look, I, I, look, it's, uh, you know, guys want to get, you know, guys want to be quote, quoted. I mean, look, as, mm. as Art Modell used to tell me all the time, you know, the guy, maybe the, the janitor's the source here. Sources in the organization. It could be the janitor. <laughs> you just never know. You Sometimes know, I think it is. You know, I, I, don't, I, I don't know why people are so willing to share their opinions about players. I mean, I think the whole mock draft thing is completely out of touch. I, I, I tweeted this today. And I'm not going to bag on anybody, but, I mean, three years ago, the year Patrick Mahomes, Mitchell Trubisky, Deshaun Watson, all those guys came out, there were, uh, there were uh, a, a, a prominent NFL, a prominent NFL uh, or prominent TV mock drafter had his second mock draft, mock draft 2.0, and Mahomes wasn't even in it. Wow. That's really all you need to know, right? Well, but I don't, I don't mean that as an indictment towards the guy. It's, it's just that there's not enough information that have been collected at that point to really make accurate assessments. Um, That's the real issue. Um, so, Mike, I feel like everything I always hear about the Combine is you should have all of your work done and this shouldn't impact you that much. <laughs> was, was, is that true? Do you believe it's, that it's notion? Compl- no, of course not. Because, first of all, most of these guys, we don't even have the accurate height, weights, and speed. We need, we need to know what their height, weight, and speed are. There's no, you have to know that, right? We don't know the medical on any of these players. We've yeah. not assessed the character on any of these players. Right. We don't know any of that. So, yeah. Now, do you base it just on what he did the short shuttle on? Of course not. I mean, this is like you're building a cake. You know, these are, mm. these are ingredients that go into the cake. They're not the one thing. And Cut. so uh, I think you've got to be very careful and prudent about how you handle the information. Uh, I believe that already this year's draft seems to be defined by Kyler Murray and where he goes. It's an interesting prospect, a two-sport professional athlete in terms of the ability to be drafted, a Heisman Trophy winner. The, the measurables that are going to come in for Kyler, what is, what is the line, the Mike Lombardi line, where if it's below a height or a weight, it would be hard for you to take him? What are those lines? I don't really have one. I think I think it's about seeing him, looking at his body, seeing him. I mean, knowing that. Look, it, it, 
regardless whether he's five oh nine six or five ten two, right? You know, he's going to have trouble seeing. He's mm. going to have trouble seeing. And if you're willing to accept this, if you're willing to say, look, we can work around it, then the next question isn't, okay, let's just do it. The next question is, tell me how we're going to work around it. Tell me how. Are we never going to be under center? How are we going to handle it? Because, look, you can talk to any player that played against Oklahoma, you know, including the guys that were at Alabama. They, They knew he couldn't see over them. They knew it. Now, he made some incredible plays. And when the plays broke down, he became an unbelievable player. But if you watch the playoff games and you watch what the Patriots did to Patrick Mahomes and kept him in the pocket, if you watch what the Patriots did to Jared Goff and kept him in the pocket, if you watch what the Patriots did to Phillip Rivers, the way they rushed him in the pocket, you realize that if you're going to win a championship, you're going to have to have somebody who can throw the ball from the pocket. Now, if you're willing to say that's not really as important, then fine. I don't know what evidence you're going to use to support that, but go ahead. Hmm. You mentioned Trey Flowers and how you were there to scout him. What a career he's really blossomed into with the Patriots, an invaluable member. What's interesting, though, is uh, in the words of the the mistress of Henry II of France back in the 15th century, to have a good enemy, choose a friend, he always knows where to strike. There's a lot of friends of Bill Belichick that are now sprinkled throughout the league. There's one in Miami now. There's in Detroit, in Houston, in Tennessee. Is there going to be a market for Trey that it's could huge almost, market for Trey that could price him out of New England? First of all, versatility strikes you right away with Trey. He can play inside or outside. He can play base end if you want him to. He can rush from the outside. He can go and play inside. He's one of the great kids of all time. Money's mm. not going to change this kid. He likes football. And so the contract isn't going to change how he plays. So you're not worried about, is he going to become spoiled by the deal? Right. You know? Will he fit into the Patriots' play structure? Probably not. The Patriots don't pay, you know, they're going to move on and find somebody else. They'll miss him tremendously. He'll be hard for them to replace, but they probably won't pay for him. And uh, that's just the way they are, and they move on. But I could see the Lions would be desperate to get him. I could see the Dolphins being desperate to get him. Hell, I could see the Colts wanting him. I mean, there's every mm. team in the league who wants a good defensive lineman is going to want Trey, Trey Flowers. Detroit and Miami are so interesting because it's the, really the last two D.C.s, the Patriots. Does it then become which D.C. did he enjoy playing for more, or is it then get down to brass tacks and dollars? Well, I think, you know, obviously with Florida having no state income tax, that ah, gives them a huge advantage right away, right? Big time, big time. So, uh, you know, I think it'll come down to how his comfort is with the defense, how he feels about certain things. But, you know, it's a, a lot of this is going to come down to dollars and cents. All right. Um, the big, whoa, big off season has really centered around the Pittsburgh Steelers. And yeah. I'm curious about their, their two stars right now that are go- likely going to be maybe on other teams. First, the guy that we know will be on another team, Le'Veon Bell. Uh, what do you think the market's going to be for him, and who do you think the biggest suitor will be? Well, based on the Jets' track record, i got to think the Jets are just <laughs> going to try to go after blue-chip players because last year you know, they had such a disastrous offseason in Man. terms of uh, what they did free agency. Just look at it. Tremaine Johnson has yep. been horrible for them. They've already cut Spencer Long. Terrell Pryor didn't make the team. Wow. I mean, Isaiah Crowell is probably going to get cut here soon. So they spent a lot of money last year. So I think they're going to try to stay within. They're going to try to take the two iron out and hit it down the middle of the fairway. And Le'Veon Bell gives them that middle of the fairway. I don't know. I don't think the Colts will be players for Le'Veon Bell. I don't think he's going to have this enormous market. I could see the Eagles being able to sneak in the back door because the market may not be as great 
partly because who wants to pay a running back all this money? When you can draft Aaron Jones in the fifth round, right? I know he's been hurt, but he's really a good player. When you can draft guys, you know, do you really want to go ahead and spend all this, all your resources on a running back? My answer would be probably not, especially one who's missed a season, you know, who's missed time during his NFL career, who's one strike away from perhaps being suspended again. There's a lot of risk here. And then Antonio Brown, uh, you, you've come out recently and said, you know, he, with the, way, the amount he's talking, what he's putting out there right now, and then Kevin Colbert comes out and says, we've gotten calls from three teams, which prompted everyone to go, so there's 28 teams that are not calling about A.B. How do you think this all wraps up? Well, I, I think, you know, when I, it's funny, before Kevin came out saying he had three teams, I already wrote for The Athletic that he was going to have to have, make a statement that there's a market for him because the way that Le'Veon's behaved, the way that Antonio's behaved, right. it's been hard. It's been hard-pressed. And so in, in my column, I talked about it. I, I think there's definitely going to be a market, but the issues are a couple, com, com, couple things. First of all, he's got two years left on a $26.4 million remaining on his deal that he wants to renegotiate. So you're going to give up a huge asset to then have to enter into a renegotiation. I don't know how many teams really want to do that, right? Mm. And then, you know, the guy has been unhappy. You know, the Steelers, which is remarkable considering how unhappy people are with Mike Tomlin, they have 57 wins counting playoffs over the last five seasons. Wow. They're second to the Patriots. Now, the Patriots have 74. <laughs> okay, but they're second best team in the NFL in the last five years in total wins counting playoffs. So, you know, there's something that went wrong this year. I think the Steelers front office, their ownership is trying to get it right, and that's why they're getting rid of Brown. And if you take Brown on, you've got to understand that there's a reason why the Steelers are getting rid of him, and you can manage that reason. That'll be a challenge. Make sure you follow Mike Lombardi, M. Lombardi NFL. Check out his work on The Athletic. It's always great stuff. And then, Mike, before I let you go, uh, National Hand Size Day is Thursday. What are you measuring in at? Oh, I've got little hands. I'll probably be a nine, you know, but, but how Can't big the loved hands, Scotty. How big are those hands, he would ask. You had to know everybody's hand size. But uh, speaking of hand size, congratulations to you, Adam, for putting a ring you. on your new wife's finger to make yeah. her to uh, get engaged. So, I, you know, you obviously had to know a little bit about hand size yourself. I did. She was a six. There six. you go. Yeah, I had to learn all that stuff. I appreciate that, Mike. Thank you, dude. All right, buddy. Hope I helped you. Oh, you were awesome. Have a great day, man. Really appreciate it. Bye-bye. All right. All right. Thanks again to Lombardi uh, for coming on. He is the man. He is somebody that has always laughed at the media. He just really wants to honestly uh, report football and do the facts. But I think that there's something happening in our media ecosystem right now that's a little bit off, and I don't think it can survive. This happened two weeks ago during my epic break where I went and saw all those things, where... Jay Glazer put out bold predictions that one of them was that Odell could be traded this offseason. And then he got upset at people because he was getting death threats and, and stuff, which is insane. I mean, if you're, if you're sending that to anyone in the media, please don't. It's so crazy and unnecessary and disrespectful and really scary, to be honest. But he put that out as a bold prediction. I mean, bold prediction is Bleacher Report four years ago, people. Like, that's when we would sit around and we kind of go, all right, what's your bold prediction? It's a gimmick. It's not real. Colin Cowherd comes out last week, and he says that he's got some sources that Russell Wilson's trying to come to the Giants. That Sierra, for her career and her entertainment, 
wants to be in New York. Sent Seattle into an absolute cluster. Sent New York into a cluster, too. And I watched both, and I read both, and I realized we can't have this. We can't do this. We have people in our media ecosystem that have a role. Schefter and Glazer, every time they tweet, it's a news event. I hate to tell these guys, but I can't have Jay Glazer tweeting out his opinions. Like, like I, and I know he, he would get upset at me. He'd go, why can't I? I go, because, Jay, when you tweet out that Odell could be traded, you're going to stop the presses and you're taking over the news cycle. And yet I have Colin Cowherd, who only gives opinions, and now he wants to give you a sourced fact. These two things cannot happen. And I apologize to both of them. I can't take Colin Cowherd's news as news because of how often he tries to play the edgy story game. I'm never going to believe him. It doesn't make sense. And Jay Glazer, I can't separate your opinion from your fact. You throw me through the, you threw me through the wash. I have no idea what to believe because the next time you come with fact, is it just a Jay Glazer bold prediction? I don't know. And I know that the Odell camp wasn't happy because I saw all those tweets. And just because Odell was rumored to be traded, and I know that's actually for a fact, during the season last year, I don't know if it's happening right now. But in a climate where you have Odell, who we know is going to have all them clicks, and we know is going to draw that tension, and Every single person in the NFL, fan, owner, team, coach, roster builder, whatever, want him on their team, it's going to get a lot of attention. You can't do that. you got to stick to what you know. With that being said, Bryce Harper is going to the Phillies over $300 million for around a decade. It's a left-go lock. It's a left-go lock. Just want you guys to know. It's a left-go lock. And for the real ones, you really know what a left-go lock is. For everybody else, keep playing the game. Keep not realizing what's actually going on because it's amazing. Uh, so coming up in the next few weeks, there are uh, some scheduling things that you can already get ready for. Combine is this week. Uh, check out Matt Miller and Stick to Football. They're going to have a, a lot of updates. He's going to be in Indy. I think Connor's going to be going out there Friday. And in two weeks, I'm going to have those guys on the podcast about the second week of March. And we're going to do the the Lefko is I'm going to do Lefko inventory, and we're going to cut through all the crap, and we're going to figure out okay who's the best player in this draft, who's the guy that you have to have. Where do you think Kyler Murray is going to go? I'm going to let them get all this information now because in two weeks is when we're really going to have an idea. I want Matt and Connor to talk to all their sources out there so they can download us here on this show and inform us. Um, Thursday is a national holiday. I don't know if you guys know this. It is National Hand Size Day. It is my favorite time in the world. Uh, What I'd like to do is on Thursday. I'd love all the homies to pull your 33% and we're going to bring out the rulers and we're going to do hand measurements. And if you have small hands, please don't be ashamed. If you have big hands, this is your time to shine. We want to join in the fray. Let's get those hand measurables out there and let's see how we stack up to Kyler Murray, the hand that everyone's going to be watching. Also, hope you guys are ready. 
It's almost time for inappropriate question time. That's right. It's that great time every year where some asshole on an NFL team asks a super wildly inappropriate question to an NFL player and then NFL and then radio shows around the country demean a guy that we don't even know who he is and say, Adam, put him in there. Why would he ask that question about that player's mom? That's so inappropriate. That's coming up. I'm going to say that comes out Wednesday. Wednesday or Thursday is my guess for that inappropriate question. Oh, don't think you guys know this? Also coming up on the calendar, anonymous scout didn't like the way insert player was during his 15-minute interview. Man, that's going to be incredible. Hope you guys are ready for that story because that story is going to be great. Left go PR coming right at you. Um, Hope you guys are ready for the epic fail uh, during a 40-yard video uh, where somebody falls. Uh, This is the Chris Jones, oh crap, it just popped out award. Uh, And if you don't know what I'm talking about, just type in Chris Jones 40. But there is always a time where somebody is running and they fall really hard. And then NFL Network slow-mos it and we watch it a million times and it's kind of funny. And then, oh, the slow-motion offensive lineman run. Man, that's great. And I still believe that Andre Smith was one of the greatest of all time. And Andrus Pete, if you haven't seen that, you need to see it. Uh, The only other thing I'm going to say before we wrap up is for all the homies that are watching the AAF and that keep asking me if I'm watching it. No, I'm not. I, I got so turned off by all of the NFL reporters that were like, this is, this is good football. I'm really enjoying it. I'm, I'm really not, you know, I, I tried, I'm not a fan. It's just not a good sign when Trent Richardson is one of the best players in your league. And I'm watching a quarterback battle between Mettenberger and Hackenberg. And then I'm hearing that one of the funders of the entire league could pull out at any moment. If the AAF continues to go and maybe it thrives a little bit, I'm interested. I could be down. But until then, I need a little bit more proof. I'm hearing my man Matt Sims is is not really doing too great. So that might be a, a real little reason why I'm a little bit upset. But I'm just going to say that I'm, I'm not getting down. I'm not getting down at all. Uh, to all the homies, you guys are awesome. Uh, hit me up. Uh, fill out the forms and I'm going to send out now on Wednesday the three possible new names for the show and then on Wednesday we're going to have another guest for Thursday to break it down, get ready for the combine and keep you guys informed to everyone that sent me well wishes on my engagement, y'all are the shit to everyone that sent me well wishes uh, for the play-by-play rising stars, I appreciate you guys and to everyone that continues to ride or die with the L-E-F-K-O-E y'all the best uh keep being cool keep 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 hitting me up on social whatever stories you want me to talk about hit me up man you know i'm gonna cover them you guys are the shit keep being real i'll let you soon